morning as we've gathered together to worship, and our call to worship will come from Psalm 19. And also, as you're turning to that, let me remind, let me mention that uh, Wednesday night, I have invited James White from the Redeemer Church in Columbus to come and lead Bible study. Debbie and Seth will be flying in Wednesday, and uh, we're going to spend time with them, and also uh, it's the most convenient time for us to have a, a meal together, sending Timothy off, who will be leaving uh, early next week to go to Arizona, so I appreciate uh, the opportunity to spend that time, and James will be here and leading Bible study uh, with y'all Wednesday night. So uh, our call to worship this morning, Psalm 19, to the chief musician, a psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day into day utter speech, and night into night reveals knowledge. There's no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tabernacle for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and rejoices like a strong man to run its race. Its rising is from one end of heaven, and its circuit to the other end. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey in the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Who can understand his, his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless, and I shall be innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Let's pray together. Lord God, as we have gathered together to worship today, may our prayer be the same as the prayer of David, that the words of our mouths and the meditation of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Lord, we have met together to worship you, and Lord, we pray that as we worship that you would uh, cleanse us from secret faults, that you would keep us from presumptuous sins, that you would not let them have dominion over us, but that we would receive the cleansing that Jesus provided for us on the cross by your grace through our faith in him. May we look to Jesus for the cleansing that we need and may we um, trust in his atoning death and his glorious resurrection to be all that we need for salvation, to wash our sins, to make them as white as snow so that we might stand before you with clean hands and pure hearts and offer you our worship and our adoration. Lord, we give you praise for the way that you've made yourself known to us in creation. We give you praise for the way that you have made yourself known to us in your word. And Lord, we pray that we would have confidence in your word, that we would have trust in your word. And Lord, that we would study your word daily to test all the voices that we hear, that we might base everything that we believe and everything that we do on your infallible, inerrant word. And so Lord, as we worship, and as we worship you by being attentive to your word, Show you in you, showing you our worth and value as we focus on your word. May your spirit teach us and lead us into truth this day. 
In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Right, I'm going to invite you to take out your hymnal and turn with me to hymn 149. Hymn 149. Right, as we continue to worship, I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Acts chapter 17. 17th chapter of the book of Acts, written by Luke the Good Doctor. Written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we believe that Luke, uh, as an eyewitness of some of these events, as he travels with Paul and Silas and Timothy uh, throughout the continent of Europe, uh, preaching the good news of Jesus, establishing churches from city to city, and actually causing riots from city to city as he travels along. And so uh, Luke writes events that he witnessed and uh, events that uh, took place in the lives of dear friends of his. But more importantly, we believe that Luke is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, so he's writing for us the very words of God, words that are profitable to us, to teach us what to believe, uh, to correct us, to rebuke us, and to train us in righteousness so that we might be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so today we turn our attention to uh, Paul's travel to a town called Berea, certainly not as significant as Philippi and Thessalonica, a, a small community, but in that small community, Paul finds fair-minded Jews, fair-minded people who gladly receive his message and we're talk about uh, their fair-mindedness fair -mindedness today in our text. Acts chapter 17, verse 10. Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Therefore, many of them believed, and also not a few of the Greeks, prominent women as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was preached by Paul at Berea, they came there also and stirred up the crowds. Then immediately the brethren sent Paul away to go to the sea, but both Silas and Timothy remained there. So those who conducted Paul brought him to Athens, and receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him, with all speed they departed. And so today we'll focus our attention on the fair-minded people in Berea. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you again for your word. We thank you that you have spoken to us in a way that is perfect and infallible and, and clear. And Lord, we also confess that we, while your word is perfect and we believe it to be authoritative and true, we also admit and confess that our interpretation, our understanding is not always perfect, is certainly not always infallible and not true. Lord, we are subject to our own errors, our own prejudice, our own presupposition when we approach the scripture. We're also subject to be deceived. And so, Lord, we come before your word recognizing our need for your Holy Spirit to lead us into truth, to help us understand the truth, to believe the truth, apply the truth to our lives. And, Lord, help us by your power of your spirit to walk in truth. And it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, on Friday, uh, Friday morning, I was asked to uh, speak at a social workers conference about grief and bereavement counseling. And early in the week, uh, the organizer of that conference contacted me and asked me for some biographical informa information that she could use in the introduction and in introducing me uh, to the attendees of the conference. 
And so I sent her back that, uh, uh, that I am married to my high school sweetheart, Rachel. I have seven children and 20 grandchildren. And I sent that back to her, and she responded. She said, that's all very nice, but I need something to tell the people that will tell them why they need to listen to you. I need something about your education or something about your credentials, something that qualifies you to stand up and speak to a bunch of social workers about grief and bereavement counseling. And, you know, sometimes uh, people think about preachers that way. They want to know how much education does he have? How many degrees does he have? And where are those degrees from? What denomination is he of? How big is his church? Where are the different places that he has served and what has been the results there? A lot of times people will want to know the credentials, the education level, or the, uh, uh, the authority that the speaker needs. And then when they hear the answers to those questions or when they hear a glowing introduction about credentials and education and experience and results, they decide, well, maybe we ought to listen to that guy. Maybe he does have something to tell us. Maybe we need to pay attention to this preacher, to this speaker. But the Jews in Berea would tell us that none of that is important. His education is not important. His credentials are not important. His experience is not important. Uh, the, if, if he speaks with authority or the, the, the eloquence of his speech is not important. What is important is, is this preacher, is this teacher bringing to us the word of God. Everything this preacher says, everything this teacher teaches, everything this speaker proclaims needs to be tested by the perfect, inerrant, infallible word of God. And so uh, they're not interested in Paul's credentials, but they test what Paul tells them against the word of God. And as we've gone through the book of Acts, we have seen Paul's strategy we have seen Paul's methodology he goes to a new town and uh, he goes immediately to the synagogue of the Jews we see that uh, he continues to do that in verse 10 and we saw that when he was in Thessalonica when he goes to the synagogue of the Jews he goes to the place where Jewish people and God-fearing Greeks and others who are interested in studying the Old Testament scriptures they come together to study the word, to study the Old Testament. Remember, when Luke is writing these words, the Old Testament is the only scriptures they are. There's the only Bible that they have. And so the synagogue would be established in every town where there are at least 10 Jewish men and the people, the Jews, God-fearing Greeks, those that were curious about hearing the word of God would gather together on the Sabbath for instruction in the word and for prayers and specifically praying that the Messiah would come. And so when Paul would go to a new town, he would go first to the synagogue where people had gathered together to study the Old Testament. And then he would take the Old Testament, as we saw in, uh, uh, in Thessalonica up early in the chapter in 17, he would uh, uh, reason with them from the scriptures. He would teach and entertain questions and answers and reason with people and answer their objections he would reason with them from the scripture. He would explain the scripture. And he would demonstrate from the Old Testament that the Christ had to suffer and then rise again from the dead. And then he would take the prophecies of the Christ, the Messiah, and show them that Jesus was that Christ. 
Jesus is the Messiah that they had gathered together to pray for. And so they were expecting the Messiah, they were looking for the Messiah, they were praying for the Messiah, and Paul would come and tell them the Messiah has come and his name is Jesus of Nazareth. And he would take the Old Testament scriptures and show that they needed a Savior, that God had created them in, their, in his own image, but they had sinned against God, they had sinned against God, they had broken his law, and they didn't deserve anything from God except his wrath and judgment. And he would show from the Old Testament scriptures that God had promised to send a Savior into the world. One who would be innocent, that would be righteous, that would be sinless. And he would take upon himself the sins of his people and experience God's wrath, God's punishment. God would accept an innocent substitute in the place of those sinners. And they were like sheep that had gone astray. But God had promised to lay on his suffering servant, the iniquity of them all. That the Christ would come and bear their transgressions and bear their sin and take the judgment that they deserved. And the wages of sin is death. He would come and die under the curse of God so that they might be forgiven. And so God would accept the sacrifice of an innocent substitute. And then that Christ, that Messiah, would be raised from the dead. And the call would go out to all to turn from sin and trust in Christ, and he would show from the Old Testament scriptures that the Messiah was not just to come and be a savior for the Jews, and not just destroy their enemies and establish a kingdom, but he would come to be the savior of the world, and that his word would be proclaimed in all nations. Paul would come to the synagogues, and he would explain, he would reason with them, he would demonstrate from the scriptures what it talked about the Christ, that he must suffer and rise again, and that uh, Jesus was that Christ, that he had fulfilled all of those Old Testament scriptures. That was his methodology. And we saw in, in Thessalonica that those who heard that message were jealous. They were envious. Paul and Silas came and preached for three Sabbaths and had more converts in three weeks than these Jewish rabbis had had in their whole lives. And they were jealous and they wanted to run Paul and Silas out of town. And that's exactly what they did. They ran them out of town. And as we see in the end of our text today, not only did they run him out of town, but they chased him to Berea. When they heard that he went to Berea and was preaching that same message and the same gospel to the Jews that were there, they pursued him. They got to Berea, stirred up the crowds, and ran him out of there. And got him put on a boat and sent to Athens as our text ends. But in the between time, we run into the Berean Jews, and Luke wants us to see, he wants to set up a contrast between the Jews in Thessalonica and the Jews in Berea. And the difference was, the Jews in Berea were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica. And we see in this text the characteristics that made them fair-minded. Three characteristics uh, that characterize the Jews and Bereas that causes Luke, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, to say they are fair-minded, they are noble-minded. And the first characteristic that we see is that they had confidence in the Word of God. They had confidence in the Scriptures. It says that these were, verse 11, these were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the Word with all readiness. They had confidence in the scripture. 
They had confidence in the Bible. They believed that the Old Testament scriptures, again, all that they had, they believed that that was the word of God. They believed that the scriptures were words that were breathed out by God. And they had come together in the synagogue for the purpose of studying the word, of learning the Bible, learning truth about God, learning the words that God had breathed out. They had confidence in the scripture. They believed it to be true. They believed the scripture to be authentic, authoritative. They believed the scripture to be the, the, the authority for what they were to believe and what they were to do. And they had gathered together for the purpose of studying the scripture because they had confidence in the Bible. They had confidence in the scripture. And when Paul came, Paul and Silas came and began to speak to them things that they had never heard before, they still received it with all readiness. They eagerly listened. They paid attention to what Paul and Silas were saying, even though it was new, even though it was something that they had never heard before. It went against their tradition. It went against the doctrines of men. It went against everything that they had ever learned and ever believed to be true about the Christ, about the Messiah. They were Jews, and they believed that the, the Messiah would come. He would destroy all of their enemies. He would restore their kingdom, and he would restore their prosperity, and all would be good when the Christ, the Messiah, came. They had learned this from the Scriptures. They had focused on the passages in the Old Testament Scripture that show a conquering Messiah, a military and political leader, establishing his kingdom, destroying their enemies. And when they heard this, they received it with readiness. They listened actively. They listened attentively. Paul came and showed them passages in the scripture that they didn't believe were talking about the Messiah because it talked about a suffering Messiah, or it talked about a suffering servant. They didn't believe that those passages talked about the Messiah because they believed the Messiah would be a conquering king, not a suffering king. But Paul came and reasoned with them from the scriptures, answered their objections, explained to them the passages, demonstrated from the word of God that, that the, the Christ must suffer. The Messiah must suffer and then rise again from the dead. And they listened, and they listened with an open mind, and they listened with open hearts. Even though they had not heard this before, even though this was new, even though this was challenging them. And, and they believed that because they were Jews, they were good. They were good with God. They were God's chosen people. It didn't really matter how they lived. God would eventually come and, and, and restore their kingdom and restore their prosperity simply because of who their fathers were. And they, they focused on those passages that made them feel good about themselves and about their place in the world and about their future. But Paul comes and he challenges all that with the truth, with what the Old Testament scriptures really teach, that the Christ must suffer and rise again from the dead, and that the gospel must be preached to all nations, all peoples. God is not just the God of the Jews, but of every people, every tribe, every language, every nation. And so Paul comes and preaches something to them that they have not heard before. And they receive it with eagerness. And you know, there's a temptation that we have sometimes when we come together and somebody comes and teaches something that, that is new to us, something that maybe goes against our tradition, 
something that goes against what we normally have believed to be, we've always believed to be true, things that we learned in the cradle roll and and Sunday school of a Southern Baptist church, things that we have heard all of our lives. Somebody might come and, and, and challenge that. Somebody might come and, and preach something that's going to expose our, our, our errors to show that what we believe is really the traditions of men and not the Word of God. And we need to resist the temptation to immediately dig in and become critical and stop hearing and close our ears and attack the messengers. We need to avoid being like the, the people at Thessalonica. The people at Thessalonica heard this same teaching And they responded with jealousy. They had always interpreted the Old Testament scripture to make them feel good about themselves and their place in the world and their future. And when Paul and Silas come, and they'd always interpreted the word of God to, to believe that God's salvation is just for Jews. And then Paul and Silas come and say that no, they are sinful, just as sinful as the nations, and they need to turn from their sin and put their trust in a crucified, risen Messiah And not only that, but salvation is to all who believe. Every nation, every tribe, every people, every tongue. And they were jealous that the gospel was being preached to the Greeks, that salvation was being offered to the Gentiles. And they dug in their heels. And they wanted to silence those teachers and run them out of town. And they were not content that they just left their town. They wanted to run them out of the next town that was 50 miles away as well. But these people in Berea were noble-minded, were fair-minded. They were wise. They were thoughtful. And even though the teaching of Paul and Silas challenged everything that they had ever heard, everything they'd ever been taught, everything they'd ever believed, they received it with eagerness. He reasoned to them from the scriptures. He explained the scriptures to them. He demonstrated from the scriptures that Christ was the Messiah, that Jesus was the Christ, Jesus was the Messiah. And they had confidence in the word of God. And they knew that God's word was to be the standard for what they believe and not tradition. They believed that God's word would be the standard for what they practiced and not the doctrines of men. They believed that the word of God was perfect, but their understanding of it was not necessarily, and, and they might be wrong. Their interpretation might be in error. Those who taught them before might not have taught them the truth. Maybe they had heard what they wanted to hear and not what God wanted to say. And so they received the word because they had absolute confidence in the scripture. They believed in its authority. They believed in its sufficiency. They believed that it was true. And they believed that the word of God should be the standard for everything that they believed and what they did and what they practiced. And so they were fair-minded because they had confidence, they had trust. In the word of God. But the second characteristic of their fair-mindedness is that they had a distrust of human teachers. They had a distrust of human teachers. And so they would come, they would listen, they would receive the scripture, they would hear what was said, they would receive it, listen attentively, listen actively, But then, ultimately, they realized that true authority does not rest in the teacher, but true authority rests in the Word of God. Therefore, we must test every teaching by the authority of the Scripture. 
And so they believe that the word of God was perfect, but human interpretation of it is not. And so every human interpretation, every human teacher, every human teaching must be tested and authenticated by the word of God. And so they had confidence in the scripture, but a lack of confidence in those human teachers. And so it says they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. And so they tested, they received, they listened to what Paul and Silas said. They were challenged by it. It, it, it went against what they'd always heard and they'd always believed, but they didn't immediately dig in and reject it and try to run Paul and Silas out of town, try to silence them, attack them by attacking their person and their character. No, they received it. And then they went home and searched the scriptures to see if what Paul and Silas was saying was indeed true. Well, in fact, they probably didn't go home because in their day, probably the only copy of the scriptures that were available to them was the scrolls in the synagogue. They didn't have their own personal copy of the scripture, but they stayed in the synagogue, and what did they do? They had those scrolls, and they daily searched those scrolls, searched the scriptures to see if what Paul and Silas were telling them was in fact true. They did not take their word for it. They went and searched the scriptures for themselves, and it was not as convenient and as easy for them as it is for us who all have an individual copy of God's Word or several individual copies of God's Word and multiple translations, uh, it's a lot easier for us to daily search the Scriptures than it was for them. But that's what they did. They were not blown away by Paul's credentials. You know, Paul was probably offered the platform at the synagogue because he had studied under Gamaliel. He was a, he was a trained rabbi. He was schooled in the Scriptures. He was an authoritative voice. He had those credentials. He was a Jew of the Jews, circumcised on the eighth day of the tribe of Benjamin, named after the first king, Saul. He had all of those credentials. He had the right degrees, the right schooling. And he probably taught with much authority and much eloquence. Very good speaker, very captivating. But they didn't just take his word for it. They didn't just say, well, because Paul said it, it must be true. No, they took what Paul said, they listened attentively, and then they went and searched the scriptures for themselves to see if what they said, what Paul and Silas were saying, was true. And so they had a confidence in scripture, but not necessarily confidence in human teaching and human explanation and human interpretation they wanted to test those things no matter how educated he was no matter how eloquent he was no matter what his methodology was no matter what his reputation was no matter what his name was no matter who his father was what tribe he was from we are going to test what he says by the authority of the word of god because that is where our confidence is it is not in the human teacher or the human preacher our confidence our trust is in the word of God and that's the way we should be sometimes we're just blown away by somebody's credentials somebody's education where they studied who they studied under we're, we're blown away by their eloquence by their charisma by how effective they are at communicating 
We're blown away by the results that they have some massive church and all these people come to hear them preach and teach. And we think that because of their, they have more degrees than a thermometer, because they have all this eloquence and they have all of these results, we think that they must be telling us the truth. But no matter who they are, no matter where they've studied, no matter how much education they have, no matter how eloquent they are, what they say must be tested by the authority of the Word of God. We must test all things and not be blown away by the credentials of the human teacher. Our trust, our confidence needs to be in the Word of God. And that's the way they expected. They weren't, they weren't, they, they didn't just receive it because Paul said it. They went and searched the scriptures for themselves to make sure whether these things were true. They searched the scriptures, and that word talks about a legal forensic investigation you know when a crime is committed the crime scene is uh, protected tapes put out there and these professional investigators these detectives these criminal investigators come in and make a careful search a diligent search looking for everything as small as little bitty fingerprints little bits of dna any kind of evidence that can show us exactly what happened at this crime scene and, and what, uh, what happened, we want to find out the truth, we want to find it, and that's the word that is used to describe how they search the scriptures, looking for the evidence, looking at every detail, searching the scriptures, because scripture interprets scripture, and making sure that the passages Paul said referred to the Christ, that he must suffer and rise again, that that was actually talking about the Christ and the Messiah, and that they had been just focusing on the, the kingdom and the prosperity and the, the blessings. And they thought that those were about the Christ, and this is about some other suffering servant. Are these passages really talking about the same person? Or is that really what is about the Christ? Is that really what the Messiah is, and who he is, and what he's supposed to do? And so they searched the scriptures to make sure Paul, what Paul said was true, and what he said about, that lined up about the life of Jesus, whether that was true. They didn't just take his word for it. They searched the scriptures diligently every day to make sure these things were true because they had a confidence in the scripture but no or, or distrust for the human speakers knowing that God's word is perfect but human interpretation is not and so they made a careful investigation of the scriptures to find out whether these things were true and as a result verse 12 many of them believed so what did they find in the scriptures? That what Paul says is true. <laughs> they found it for themselves. They discovered it. And God led them to truth and they believed. Many of the Jews, not a few of the Greeks, and prominent women and also the men, which didn't happen in Thessalonica. And, 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 and uh, we just see the leading women in Thessalonica. But now the men also are believing in Berea. And that motivates the Thessalonians to come and run Paul and Silas out of that town as well. So what makes the Bereans fair-minded? Their confidence in the scripture, their lack of confidence in human teachers, and belief that human teaching, every human teaching, no matter who he is, no matter what credentials he has, must be tested by the word of God. And then third, they believed that they themselves had the capability to study the scripture and arrive at the truth 
that they did not need an expert. They did not need someone who had been to school and had more degrees than a thermometer. They did not need someone to come and tell them what the Bible said and what the Bible meant, that they were capable, competent themselves to study the Scripture and engage in the truth. They had confidence in Scripture, and they listened, they received the Word, but then they also had confidence in themselves to go and investigate their Scripture and to test that, the, the, the teaching they had received by the Word of God. They believed that the Word of God is not only true, inerrant, without error, infallible, no faults, and that it's sufficient, it is the sole authority for our faith and our practice. They believe those things about the Scripture, but they also believe that the Scripture is clear. They believed in the clarity of the Scripture and that they didn't have to have a special education. They didn't have, have to have special training. They didn't have to have special knowledge to go and investigate the truth of Scripture for themselves and to test the teaching that they had heard that each of them were competent to study the Scripture for themselves and arrive at the truth. And so that they had that confidence and they searched the Scriptures daily to find out whether these things are so. So what made these people fair-minded? They had a confidence in the Scripture, a distrust of human teaching, but a confidence that the Scripture is clear, and with diligent study, the Spirit of God will lead us to the truth. They believed what Psalm 19 that we read earlier said about the Scripture. That the testimony of the Lord is sure, and it makes wise the the simple. The Scriptures, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. And they believed that when they went to the Scriptures with an open heart and an open mind, God would lead them to the truth. And so they believed in the clarity of Scripture. Scripture is not a puzzle to be put together. It's not a secret. It's not filled with secrets that experts need to draw out of the Scripture. No, it is clear. And with an open mind and an open heart, we can go to the Scriptures and we can trust God to enlighten our eyes, to rejoice our heart, to make us wise through the work of His Spirit and His Word. And so... They had confidence in the Scripture. They believed every human teaching had to be tested by the Scripture, and they believed that they had the ability and the capability to test that teaching. Now, does that mean we don't need uh, human teachers? Well, I hope it doesn't mean that. <laughs> I, uh, I hope it means that we, we, need, we need teachers, but the teachers, what they teach, what they see, say, what they preach needs to be tested by the authority of the Word of God. Don't just blindly receive it. And and when somebody comes and preaches something that you don't agree with, don't be like the Thessalonians and dig in your heels and close your ears and attack the messenger and run him out. No, go to the Scriptures and see if what he's saying is true. If he's challenging you, if he's confronting you, if he's making you think about things that you haven't thought about before, or if he's 
telling you things that are, are true that you believe are not true. Don't just close your ears and close your heart and run them out of town. No, go to scriptures and test it, see if it's true. Maybe you're wrong. Maybe those people who have been teaching you all these years, maybe they're wrong. Go to the scripture. It is the sole authority. Test the scriptures. And the other temptation, you know, when somebody challenges us, we have a temptation to close our ears and to be hostile and become defensive. But there's also another temptation when somebody comes and tells us all the things that we agree with. Well, we become smug and proud and say, yeah, I knew, I knew that. I've known that all my life. I believe that to be true. That guy's right and give accolades to that preacher because he's telling me what I believe and what I want to hear. And, uh, uh, but the same thing is true. Don't become smug and proud when somebody tells you something you believe. Go to the scriptures and make sure it's true. Test it. Make sure it's true. The authority is the word of God. And so we need to test all things by the authority of the word of God. And so, yes, there's a place for human teachers, and they teach us how to interpret the Scripture, how to handle the Scripture, how to deal with the Scripture, which is one reason that we go through Scripture systematically, verse by verse, expositionally, teaching the, 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 the flow of Scripture and the outworking of Scripture, not, not so much just to tell you what to believe, but to tell you how to study the Bible, how to approach the Bible. We approach the Bible as a whole, and we believe that the Bible interprets the Bible. And we believe it's one story, uh, one record, the record of a God who is holy for his own purpose, creating himself, purposing to create himself a people that would love him and delight in his presence for all eternity. He created them in his own image. They sinned against him. And the Bible is the outworking of God's plan to redeem his sinful people to himself. It's one story. It's one book, even though it was written over a period of 1,500 years by 40 different human authors on three different continents in three different languages. It's one story, the story of a holy and righteous God redeeming sinful people to himself by sending his son into the world to die for their sins and to raise from the dead. And, and by his grace, offering them repentance and faith so that they might delight in his presence forever. And, and so the, the teaching doesn't necessarily tell us what to believe, but how to approach the scripture and how to study so that we might be equipped to test all things because those human, we have authority, we have a, a confidence in the authority of the Word of God. It is true, it is without error, it is given to teach us what we ought to believe, it is given to correct us when we are wrong, it is given to rebuke us when we are in error, and it is given to train us in righteousness that we might be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So we have confidence in the scripture. It alone tells us what we ought to believe and what we ought to be doing. And every teaching, every sermon, every Bible study needs to be tested against the authority of the word of God. Because while God's word is perfect, our human interpretation, our human understanding is not. And so everything that we're taught must be tested by the word of God. And the word of God is clear. It is a revelation and if you have the Spirit of God living within you, if you have been born again, if you have turned from your sins and put your trust in Jesus Christ and in Him alone for salvation, you have the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit to help you understand and to interpret and to apply the Word of God. The Apostle John writes to the church in 1 John chapter 2, he says, These things I've written you, I've written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. 
but the anointing which you have received from him abides in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things, and is true, and is not a lie, and just as it has taught, it has taught you, you will abide in him. And so we, believers, born again by the power of the Holy Spirit, with the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, have the ability to rightly divide the word of truth and to discern truth from error and to understand false teaching and to expose it. Every believer is competent to test all things by the word of God. And so when we think of this text, we need to, uh, uh, number one, do, you know, do I have absolute, well, first of all, have I been born again by the power of the Holy Spirit? Have I put my trust in Jesus Christ and in him alone for my salvation? Have I been born again? Have I believed what the scripture says about me, that I am dead in my trespasses and sin? There's nothing I can do to save myself. I'm helpless and hopeless apart from Christ. But God in his great love became a man, lived a sinless life, died on the cross to satisfy God's wrath against all who believe. God raised him from the dead to show that sacrifice was accepted and he calls all people to repent and believe the gospel. And those who believe have been born again by the power of the Holy Spirit. If I put my trust in Jesus Christ and in him alone, if I believe what the Bible says about Jesus and not what some tradition or doctrine or denomination says about that. Have I put my trust in Jesus Christ? Have I been born again? And do I have confidence in the word of God? Do I believe it's authoritative? Do I believe it's the sole authority for our faith and practice? Do I believe it's sufficient that I might be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work? Do I believe in the authority and the sufficiency of the word of God to tell me what I must believe and what I must do, how I must live my Christian life? Do I have confidence in the word of God? These noble-minded Bereans, confidence, trust in the word of God and its absolute truthfulness, trustworthiness, and authority. Do you have that confidence in the word of God? And then do you also have a distrust for human interpretation and human understanding? And when you listen, you receive the word with readiness, but do you also receive it with a discerning ear? And then, do you take the time to go and search the scriptures and make sure these things are true? Do you test all things by the authority of the word of God, believing that you're competent to study the scripture and to study the word of God and to discern the truth and to be guarded from error? The Bereans were noble-minded. They received the word with readiness, but they searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were true. And when they found out to be true, they believed. They put their trust in Jesus Christ revealed in the scriptures from Genesis to Malachi. And now we have the scriptures from Matthew to Revelation that tell us all we need to know about God, about life, and about godliness. And it's authoritative. And we have the power of the Holy Spirit to help us understand and to test all things by the authority of the Word of God. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for your Word. We thank you for the truth of it. We thank you for the reliability of it. And we thank you for the clarity of it. And Lord, we pray that you would make us fair-minded. 
that you would help, help us to have absolute confidence in the authority and the sufficiency of your word. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to have a healthy distrust of all human teachers. That we would listen, we would receive the word readily, eagerly, but we would also receive it with a discerning ear. And then go home and check what we have been taught with the authority of Scripture and grant us the grace to believe the Scripture and not the doctrines or traditions of men. And Lord, we confess that we believe in the authority of your word, that it's true, but we also confess that we do not trust ourselves. Our interpretation is not always perfect, but we can trust the Holy Spirit, your Holy Spirit, to lead us into the truth as we study your word. May your spirit lead us into truth, help us understand the truth, help us to believe the truth, and help us to walk in truth. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, I'm going to invite you to take out your hymnal and turn to hymn 361. Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant, may he make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.